0: Amen. Well, please be seated. Good morning. I'm Brian Davis. I'm one of the elders here at Fellowship. My family and I, we've been here for about 22 years. And so this church body has meant so much to us over the years that it's, it's an honor to be able to open God's Word and expound on it with you this morning. Three years ago this summer, our family was in Mexico. We took a, a week vacation down outside of Cancun. And we went on a tour one day with a tour bus to an area called Chichen Itza, or as our kids would say, chicken pizza. And so we gathered at the resort, we got on this big bus, and we headed to Chichen Itza. And there was a tour guide with us. His name was Orlando. So Orlando was talking to us. It was about an hour and a half drive or so as we were going through the different... Parts of the, the countryside, he was telling us about you know, things that had changed over the years and what things used to be like and what the culture was and what it's like now. And he was doing the general tour guide thing. And so then we get to Chichen Itza and another tour guide, Francisco, joins us. And so this is a big, big tourist area. Um, it's Mayan ruins that were constructed, originally built back in about 650 to 700 A.D., and there 's our family, and you can see those ruins are pretty well preserved in a lot of cases there 's pyramids there 's temples. Uh, one thing of note' there's, there, where they played sports there 's this great ball court they called it, and it was a huge area that was still preserved and We learned a little bit about the sport they would play that was extremely violent that often ended with decapitation and so i 'm glad that was not preserved, and that we no longer play that game. But we went on a tour, and we got to hear with our different groups about the different parts of of those ruins in that area. And then after a while, they said, okay, we're going to break up into groups. and You guys can go do your own self-guided tour, and you can go off and do what you want to do. Meet us back here to get back on the bus in about an hour and a half. So our family goes off, and we're going on, and we're looking at different things because we we just saw in our big group, you know, just a few of the, the main attractions and there's paths going everywhere. There's a cenote farther down the path where there's these underground rivers with fresh water in Mexico that people can scuba dive in. Uh, we, we swam around in one of them. It's extremely cold. All these different things to see. And as we're going farther and farther along, I start realizing, I'm not sure where we are. Um, part of the disorienting part is there's trails everywhere. And there's vendors that are set up along parts of the way to try to help you acquire things and so you know they're offering things senor senor one for ten two for thirty one for ten two for thirty and i'm like they're saying it really fast which one's a better deal one for ten or two for thirty and being a financial advisor i did figure that out but we're going for a while and then i said again i haven't said anything to my family because you know i'm the leader and they're following me but i'm thinking i don't know where we are i knew we weren't lost lost because you know we saw people around there were obviously trails and occasionally there'd be maps you know but this is a big area I didn't really know how to get back to where we were supposed to meet, our tour guide. And I start thinking about all the stories you hear about something weird happens, and this family ends up in Mexico in jail, and, you know, there's diplomatic immunity. All these things happen, and you're trying to, how do we get our family out of Mexico, out of jail? And so I'm not saying anything. The farther we go, the more trails we go past, I I don't really know where we are. And then finally, oh my goodness, finally, probably as far as from here to the front doors of the church, I see our guide. And I recognized him because he'd spoken to us and led us. And I saw people from our group behind him. So I thought, thank goodness, there he is. And like out of nowhere, I go, Orlando, like really big, because I was so happy to see Orlando. And I'm usually, you know, kind of aware that, hey, I'm making a scene. It's loud. I don't usually, and I don't have a Spanish accent, you know, but Orlando. And he goes, hola, I'm Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and, But I didn't really care what his name was because I knew he was still part of our group and I knew that if I just followed Orlando, Francisco, and these other people that we knew from our tour bus, we would get back where we needed to be. So as believers, we're called to follow Jesus and we should probably be a little bit more discerning in how we follow than how I was in that story, but it didn't work out. We did get back to where we needed to be, didn't end up in jail and it was fine. So last week, we started this series called Following Jesus And last week, Grant talked about following Jesus and how we lead. And he said that a real Christ-following leader is a Savior-centered servant. That we lead when we serve, and we serve when we lead. And so today, we're going to look at just how do we follow Jesus with our lives? How do we follow Jesus just with our 24-7, following Jesus and how we live? And that's a really broad topic, isn't it? When you say it that way, it's like wow, i got 66 books following Jesus. How do I follow Jesus based on his word? And it's a broad question like that. Well, So I've been thinking through that, and it's, it's very clarifying, and I can categorize and start to kind of organize thoughts around just what does his word say even with a general question, like how do we follow Jesus with our lives? So one thing is to think about, well, what did Jesus say when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And this is the greatest commandment. And then you can think about, well, let's see, I've heard of another greatest. What's the other? Oh, the Great Commission. The Great Commission then, he said, is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so I can think about, okay, love God, you know, and and love others. Because the second commandment, he said, after you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so at the broadest level, what does it mean to follow Jesus? To love God, to love others, and you love them by telling them, by commissioning them, telling them about Jesus. Here at Fellowship, we just have categorized that and said that we glorify God by living out the life we have in Christ, love God, invest in others, follow his word, engage our world. That's how we love God and how we follow Jesus with our lives. However, unlike when my family was in Chichen Itza, uh, we aren't just here on a little day excursion. We're not in a tropical paradise. Uh, we are where we have difficulties and trials and troubles, and it's not easy. The job that we are commissioned for isn't easy, following Jesus by just seeking to fulfill the, the great commandment and the great commission is not without resistance but fortunately uh, we have god's word and we have others who have gone before us and who can give us ideas and instruction on how to do that well how to struggle through this assignment and so today we're going to be in second timothy chapter 2 and that's what paul's doing paul is writing to a struggling timothy they do each other well right paul was was timothy's mentor Timothy was a protege. He knew Timothy. He'd taken him on missionary trips. He knew his family. He knew his heritage. But we don't know exactly, but somehow Timothy was struggling. Believe it or not, I think being a pastor is harder than just showing up on Sundays. Um, maybe the church was having doctrinal disputes. There is evidence, you know, that because of Timothy's age, there was, that people weren't respecting him possibly. There was something that was, that was causing him to maybe shrink back and be a little timid. And maybe be discouraged because we see here Paul trying to both give him an exhortation and also to encourage him and build him up. And so right where we're going to pick it up in 2 Timothy 2, Paul had just finished right before that talking about two different groups of people that were engaging with Paul. One group of them had stayed with him and he said they refreshed him because they stayed there, they ministered with him. And another group he talked about deserted him. And so he's just talked about the refreshers and the de- deserters, and now he's turning to Timothy. And so if we read here in Second Timothy 2, 1 through 7, I'll just read the whole verse for this morning, the set of verses. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus." No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive his share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. So these are well-known verses. If you've been in the church for too terribly long, you have heard these verses. They're also easy enough that... Our third, fourth, fifth graders can hear that or read that and get an idea of what 's going on at least what you know what some of the challenge what we're being called to do is yet as elementary and as easy as they are to read and have a base understanding it 's god 's word it 's complex enough and and complete enough that just Reading simple verses like that repeatedly and studying them for the past several weeks, God has given me insights and connections that I hadn't seen before that are right in front of my eyes, and I've been praying that He will do the same thing uh, for us here today. And so, broadly speaking, looking at these verses, we have three admonitions that are given. We have three analogies or word pictures for how we're to follow Christ and engage our world. And then we have three rewards that will be given to those who obey the commands And then just for a good measure at the end, uh, there's a promise that's thrown in. So if we go back to verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, and reread that, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That phrase, that verse, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that's our our launch pad for today's talk, but that's our foundational verse. I want to keep coming back to over and over you know, when people say, sometimes they'll say, if you get nothing else out, or if you only remember this, or if this is all that you take from today, that's what I'm going to say about this verse, because it is so good. And I love when people say that because they think, oh, good, I've got, okay, i got something, they've told me it's important, I'm engaged, and that way if I get distracted later, if I fall asleep, I've got at least one thing to take from this. So this would be your one thing to take from this today. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And I love that because it shows the balance between God's provision in our responsibility timothy starts off he says be strong he's saying this to timothy so timothy be strong not in yourself though in the grace that is found in christ jesus you be strong but it's in god's grace there's that tension that responsibility between what, what we're, we are told to do but how it's going to be accomplished so what does this have to do with the coming verses that we read that now in endurance and pain and suffering and hardship are introduced Well, you won't be the single-minded, pleasing soldier he's going to talk about if you serve in your own strength. Or you won't receive the victor's crown as the winning athlete if you compete in your own strength. Or you won't receive the first share of the crops as the hardworking farmer if you do that in your own strength. All three of these illustrations, the soldier and the athlete and the farmer, they all employ and embody strength as we fight through suffering. But again, it's not, it's not strength in each one of those, those pictures. Of the, it's not strength as the soldier or strength as the athlete or the farmer. It all starts with us recognizing that we, when we are weak, then we are strong. It's all about Christ. We must decrease. He must increase. Because He is the one that created all, is over all, is in all, and holds all things together. Apart from Him, we can do Nothing. So we are to die to self, and we are to live for Christ. We have to get that bedrock first and foremost before we take anything else out of this. Christ first, we decrease, we follow him. We're to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. We have just as much to do with our ongoing working these things out that we're about to talk about as we had to do with our original salvation, meaning we didn't have anything to do with it. We trusted Christ and his work and his strength to accomplish that for us. And that's the same thing here. And so after Paul got Timothy focused correctly on Christ first, then he gets to the next verse, verse 2. He says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Well, this is Paul's own paraphrase of the Great Commission. The Great Commission was to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them, everything I've commanded you. And that's what Paul says here. Things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. So he gives essentially his version of the great commission. And that's our commission as well. That wasn't just for Timothy. That's for all believers to go forward and multiply. So I want to talk about this idea of multiplication for a minute. It's right here in one verse. It's so easy to see, but it's so profound to see how it unfolds as well. Again, Paul says the things that you, Timothy, have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men, reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So we actually have five generations of multiplication or multiplying discipleship happening right here because the gospel wasn't Paul's. Who did he receive it from? He received it from Christ. He was knocked down on the road to Damascus and said, you're persecuting me. And he got the message of Christ from Christ. And then we see, like he said right here, he gave it to Timothy. But it wasn't just Timothy. He says, Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. So it wasn't just Timothy, but when Jesus, Paul, Timothy, many witnesses are along there with Timothy. But what does he say? Entrust it to reliable men, reliable people, who will then actually teach others. That's the, that's fivefold right there. Jesus, Paul, Timothy, reliable ones who will then teach others. That is multiplication. In my, in my world, we call that compound interest. I'm a financial advisor, so I deal with people who are trying to save for retirement and for the future, and they invest money to grow, have it compound, have it multiply on itself over many years. So I, I can't resist. So um, for instance... If you take one, the most you can put in an IRA this year is $6,000. If we have any 18 year olds in here and you make one annual contribution of $6,000, based on normal math, normal historical compounding, one $6,000 contribution now at age 18, by the time you're 65, is $647,000. That's just one. And that's what this is talking about. You start with one that goes to another set of multipliers, that goes to another set of multipliers that just compounds exponentially. That's amazing. You know, that compound enters that idea that exponential growth is considered, you know, one of the wonders of the world. So it looks amazing to see how it works here. So you think, well, that does sound pretty good. So why do we need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus? The math works. It's easy, right? Well, let's look at verse 3. There's our answer. Paul says, "...endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus." Oh, so it's not that easy. Um, There's hardship involved. And now we have soldier and war analogies involved. And so this amazing multiplication doesn't take place in a vacuum. We're not in a tropical paradise. where We just took a little tour bus for a day. This is difficult. Uh, We have to compete hard. Also, like we to hear in a minute, like the athlete. We have to work hard as the farmer. This is effort. But again, remember our foundational verse. It's not in ourselves. We're to be strong in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. Otherwise, otherwise we're going to end up with our list, our checkbox, our do this in order for this to be accomplished, do this three times a day, make sure you do this six times a week. We have it all figured out on how to make things like this happen, and that's not what it's about. It's being strong in the grace that's found in Christ Jesus. That's the message that we're called to spread, not a checkbox message. So <clears throat> how do we spread and multiply the message? Well, we stay strong in Christ even as we suffer and endure. So now let's look at verses three and four together. Endure hardship with us, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a good soldier, or no one serving as a soldier, gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. All right, so just trying to look at this logically. What are some things we can take from this illustration of a soldier? Well, first, when I think of a soldier, I think of a war. I think that we're in a war, actually a revolution. We're not on a beach, not paradise. This is a war soldiering isn't easy people don't generally get enlisted or enlist thinking oh it's a great way to see the world go all these fun places if if i think if people think that they are quickly (laughs) reminded that that's actually not what they just signed up for it's tough that's why we're told to endure hardship or suffer hardship some versions say usually soldiers and armies have enemies in fact in our case as believers we know that we're not on home turf we're on enemy soil aren't we so we're engaged in a war and we're suffering on enemy soil. I also notice how Paul says that we're not alone. He says, endure hardship with us. So you're not by yourself. You're not to be isolated. You're part of a squadron or part of a unit. You have other people in your midst, in your ranks. And you also have a commanding officer. The commanding officer is referenced. As believers, our commanding officer is Jesus. In this world, they're evil, self-centered. Self glorifying commanding officers. Ours is not. Ours is Christ. And our commander is going to require us to endure trials and hardships if we want to please our commanding officer. Paul kind of implies here no good soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. What does that mean? I read that. What does it mean to be involved in civilian affairs? And if we're commanded to be a good soldier, that means we can be a bad soldier too, right? So how do we make sure that we're not a bad soldier? Well, first I would say stay focused on your calling and your command. Why were you enlisted to fight to begin with? What were you commissioned with? Be focused. Second, not getting involved in civilian affairs. We have to stay away from the killer Ds, which we've heard before, right? The killer Ds of discouragement, disqualification, disengagement. Um Depression, distraction, all these D-words that get in the way, and like, like, like civilians, they, we get focused on things at this level, not the level that our commander, our commanding officer, would have us focus on. And we're to exercise self-control. Self-control, have a single-mindedness. We need to stay true to our calling. We don't need to get distracted on the trivial pursuits of this world, but laser focus on our calling, our purpose, and our mission. And the good news is, when we do this, there's a reward, and it's right here in these verses. It says, you will be pleasing to your commanding officer. We will please Jesus as we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and as we tell others about him. That's pleasing to him. Through our suffering, we seek to stay focused and single-minded in our mission. And that's pleasing to our officer, pleasing to Christ. All right, let's turn to the athlete. Let's read verse 5. Similarly, as in similarly to the soldier, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, unless he competes according to the rules. So again, similarly, just like the soldier, there's effort, there's sacrifice, there's hardship, hard work, and that happens for the athlete too, if he hopes or she hopes to win the crown. So what are some basic things that we can think about with this example? Well, like in all athletic games, there's a fixed course or there's a fixed time. You're racing against the clock, you're racing against others, an individual or a team. In all competitions like that, there's a winner and there's a a (laughs) non-winner there's a loser there's victors and then there's non-victors skill effort hard works required Um, The winner is eligible to receive what an award a reward you win something when you win but at this time when paul was writing this they had their olympic games they had their isthmian games and it wasn't just about show up on race day and beat your opponent that was part of it but they also had to attest that they had competed according to the rules, they had followed the strict regimen of training and preparing for the competition itself. So there's game day, and then there's a whole season and training period leading up to it, and they had to have integrity, they had to have honesty, they had to follow the rules, or they would be disqualified. Well, Paul didn't want Timothy to be disqualified, and we don't want to be disqualified either. And as you may know, this isn't the only place that Paul uses athletics as an example. So there's a little bit more we can draw out from 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I want to speak to this idea of being disqualified for a minute, though. He's not talking about our eternal salvation. He's not talking about amazing grace, the chains are gone, I've been set free, I'll, be, I'll spend paradise with heaven, with God. He's talking about our day-to-day current disqualification from current opportunities to serve Him, to glorify Him, to be a blessing to Him. When we know this because in Ephesians 1, where Paul's writing to the same church that Timothy pastors in Ephesus, he says, Paul says, believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So as believers, we're sealed, we have a deposit, our inheritance is guaranteed, the disqualification can happen. And, you know, sometimes we're in the race and sometimes we fall down. Sometimes we choose the easy way. We take a shortcut. Sometimes in training, we don't want to do what's required and <laughs> we want to mail it in. We want to disregard. And that disqualifies us at times for current events, for current moments where we could be useful, where God could insert us, to accomplish his purposes, but it does not change our eternal Security it doesn't change where we end up at the end of our lives because that is secure. That is guaranteed. So if we trust in Christ, we do have that eternal crown of salvation. There's just these many blessing-related, service-related crowns along the way where there's consequences to sin. And that's what we lose at times, but there is hope in the gospel. Our security is guaranteed. So if you trust in Christ, you do have that eternal crown but we are to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus for the day-to-day races and challenges. So let's turn to the farmer verse, verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. So we aren't just referring to any farmer, but a hardworking farmer. Some of you would say, well, is there any other kind of farmer? Probably not for long, right? If you're going to be a successful farmer, you have to be a hardworking farmer. But what this was kind of underscoring, what this meant here is, hardworking means to labor to the point of exhaustion. So what are some things that we can know about farmers? Well, everything they do in their own physical effort, they do to the best of their abilities, and they have very little control over the final outcome. They don't control all the soil conditions. They can have an influence on it. They certainly don't control weather patterns, rain, temperature swings. They can do the best of their ability and then they trust God with the outcome. There's that balance, that tension again between what we're called to do and then what we recognize that God and only God alone can do. So the farmers perform their work with the hope of a normal outcome. And Paul is urging Timothy not to be lazy, not to be indolent, but to labor intensely with the view towards the harvest because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few be a good worker, be a hard worker. And just like with the athlete analogy, this isn't the only time that Paul used kind of his farming language either in his writings. Back when he was writing to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, he's talking about addressing the fact that some people are starting to take sides, saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. And people were placing more uh, weight in those two than they were the actual message of Christ. And so here's what what paul said he said i planted the seed apollos watered it but god has been making it grow so neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only god who makes things grow the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded for their own labor so this verse recognizes again that we are we're just tools god uses us as tools and we're the workers actively serving the Lord, but he does the work. He makes the crop grows. He multiplies his message in and through us. If we're strong in the grace that's found in Christ Jesus. Back to that again. So, just like with the other two examples, there's a reward for our hard work. What does it say? The hardworking farmer, that he should be the first to receive a share of the crops. That's how God's built the system. If we follow his pattern, if we follow his rules, if we follow his commandments, he has built this economy, this world around it. When you do this, generally these principles happen. These things follow. This multiplication happens. We have to trust him in it, but we're called to be faithful in how he, is, how he has set up our world around us. The farmer benefits. He gets the first share of the crops, gets to feed his family, gets to take care of others, gets to sell crops for a profit. So, there's this idea of working hard, trusting God, being strong in grace, and then yielding the fruit of that. So, here's a summary of what we've seen so far. Three admonitions. The admonitions are to be strong, to share the word, and we suffer hardship as we do it. Then there's the three analogies. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And then there's three rewards. Each one of those, strong in grace, yields a reward. And so I want to stop right here and say there is also a a, a very strong warning that I would say that comes with this because it would be really easy to think, well, I'm going to get the reward because I'm just going to soldier up. I'm going to listen to my commanding officer. I'm going to outwork everybody. I'm going to outdo everybody. I'm going to be more loyal than everybody. I am going to soldier up and make this happen. And that's why I get the reward. Whereas an athlete, I was willing to do the training. I got up earlier. I ran harder. I stayed up later, lifted more weights. I wanted it worse than anybody else did, and that's why I won. Or as the farmer, man, I was willing to get up earlier. I I knew I spent so much time trying to make sure that I planted at just the right time. I harvested. I did more than, you know, two people could do in any other field. I made this happen. I worked hard to accomplish all this. That would be wrong. That would be legalistic. That would be self-centered. And also, that would also be very natural. We all do it at some point in some way. We all drop our eyes sometimes, focus on ourselves, pat ourselves on the back and think what we've accomplished. But God's word would say we really didn't accomplish it. He used us, but he provided all the materials, all the growth, all the outworking of it. It's not about what we can do. We're not spreading the message of look how good I am. We're spreading the message of look how good the Savior is who uses me and works in me despite my struggles, despite my sins. So you're to be strong in the grace that's in Christ as you endure hardship. That's the message, the message of Jesus, not our own. I also think it's interesting that Paul used these word pictures, the soldier, athlete, farmer. It meant something then. Uh, Timothy resonated with that. The audience of that day also would resonate with that. And we actually can still resonate. That means something to us, the soldier, athlete, and farmer. So I went looking up, what? historical big events have occurred on this day, May 1st. Today's May 1st, right? May 1st, 1945, is when a German newsreader officially read this announcement. Adolf Hitler had fallen at his command post in the Reich Chancellery, fighting to the last breath against Bolshevism and for Germany. That was this day. May 1st, 2011, President Obama called a very late-night press conference to announce that Osama bin Laden had been killed. Both of those guys commanded others. They were in an army of sorts. You think they were pleasing to, to the commanding officer of Jesus Christ? I think not. I don't think they received their reward. On this day in 1999, when it comes to athletics, May 1st, 1999, the body of British mountaineer George Mallory was discovered on Mount Everest. Seventy-five years before, back in 1924, he and his climbing partner had disappeared. They were making their third attempt to summit Everest, and they did not make it. Their bodies were discovered, again, 75 years later, but they had last been seen about 800 feet from the summit. They were making their third attempt, didn't make it. There's a lot of theories around what happened, and people trying to go back, and and once they found their frozen bodies that had been well-preserved, it was noted that one of them, they weren't wearing their, their goggles, to the snow goggles, where they weren't even able to likely see in the snow and the wind. There was also one was using oxygen, one wasn't. So people don't know exactly what happened, but it appears that they did not follow the training guidelines that would have been recommended for their day. And you can certainly say they didn't receive or achieve the reward that they were looking for with their expedition. Lastly, when it comes to agriculture, a lot of old, um, older traditions and celebrations revolved around agriculture. Anybody know what May 1st has historically been called? May Day. Yeah, May Day. And so May Day was a time when people would get together and celebrate and have a party. And one thing involved dancing around a Maypole, like you see there. Families, people would fill May baskets, May Day baskets of flowers and sweets. That's why our students are selling baked goods today. They want to honor May Day, right? And so you'd put these May Day baskets on people's doorsteps. Kids, this was often the first day that kids would be able to go outside barefoot. You can tell that didn't start in Texas because that would have been more like March 1st, probably. But that was how May Day went, May 1st. And then also farmers would often plant turnips on May Day. So a lot of you home gardeners on your way home, make sure you grab your turnip seeds. You'll be good to go for this afternoon after your nap. So these word pictures... The soldier, athlete, and farmer were meaningful then. They meant something then, and they mean something today as well. So, how does Paul wrap up this message about multiplying this work of following Jesus with our lives? Verse 7. Verse 7, he says to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Because there's not really a whole lot of unpacking in these verses. They're just one after the other, just statement, statement, statement. And so he doesn't he doesn't explain a lot to Timothy, but he tells him, reflect on what I'm saying, and the Lord will give you insight. There it is again, that balance. Timothy, you reflect, and then who gives the insight? God will give the insight. That is so important that we spend time in God's Word. I saw a stat just this week, actually, that American Bible Society released their 2022 study of how many people read their Bible, and they break it down into times uh, Throughout the week, and so there's different groups. So the group there's one group of people who have historically read their Bible. They said three to four times a week. Last year, in America, 128 million people read their Bible three to four times a week. This year, it dropped to 103 million. That's a 20 percent drop in one year. Guys, if you're not in your Bible regularly, it's not because it's a checkbox. It's not to be legalistic. If I wasn't regularly in my Bible i don 't know i 'm not trying to oversay this. I would either not be alive at this point or i 'd be so medicated i wouldn 't be recognizable. I have had the times, like many of you, where you get the call from the doctor and they say, "Hey, can you talk i 'm concerned i 've been in the business meetings to where you sit down, and sixty seconds later, your career takes a different trajectory than where you thought it was going when you walked in the door. I know you guys, families blow up, kids go off the rails things happen in our lives that if we don't have the foundation of God's word, if we are not regularly opening it, reflecting on it, be still and know that I am God, if we don't engage at that level, we don't stand a chance. It's so important to spend time in God's word on a regular basis. And for me, the older I get, the more mature I get, the more kind of All-encompassing that is, I find myself thinking through, praying through scriptures while I'm on the mower, you know, while I'm driving to work, early in the morning, late at night. It's not just for a set, I'm going to set my timer for four or five or ten minutes or whatever it is, but it's engagement and that reflection all throughout the day. That's how I seek God's insight. So, if we are strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, we know this, that we're in a battle But the battle belongs to the Lord, right? We know that we're racing others on the course. The clock is ticking, but it's the Lord that marks out the race. And we might be farming rocky and difficult terrain, but the Lord prepares the harvest. So we fulfill the Great Commission when we live out the great commandment. We want to be strong in the grace that's found in Christ Jesus when we love him and we tell others about him. Let's pray. God, you've not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. That's what Paul told Timothy. We have that same Holy Spirit working in us. We do want to fight the good fight. We want to finish the race. We want to honor you. We want to receive the crown of righteousness.